Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. So Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for May 5th, 2023. We're back same day, dead or alive audio. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed or on a on the Open the Voice Gate dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms, applications. And while you're at it, please throw us five-star rating and review. It's the best way for people to find the show. You could Follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You set up a one-time donation or a, a recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever. You go to the red box that says sponsor this podcast. We would like to thank all of our previous donors, though. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Joining alongside is always Case Low. In case, usually I would have bored out of an intro like that, but for same-day audio... With the instancy of Dead or Alive, we're just going to go with it here. But how are you doing this Friday afternoon? I'm good. I'm good. Happy Cinco de Mayo to you. Happy Cinco de Mayo to the listeners. I don't know if we've ever done same-day audio for Dead or Alive or not. So I'm excited. This is a newsworthy show. I'm, I'm I'm glad we're recording this as soon as we can. Yeah, I know we for sure have done Kobe World Weekend same day audio. I believe way in the past we maybe have done Final Gate, but never... Ne- never uh dead or alive case you know what today is though of course i i don't i i mean may 5th is yes. it what like a dopey like nerd day no may 5th is children's day in japan that's oh. why it's always on golden week it is kodome uh, uh let me repronounce again kodomo no hi which is a public holiday in japan which takes place annually on may 5th and it's the final celebration in golden week it's a day set aside to respect children's personalities and to celebrate their happiness. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. 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 So if you always wonder why Dead or Alive is always on May 5th, well, it's part of Golden Weekend. It's the last day of Golden Weekend. I like the, the aspect about respecting children's personalities. Yeah, no, that's I look, I, I'm fascinated by the I think it's I think it yeah, it's Japan that has the deal where kids like little kids will go to the grocery store by themselves and the culture and the society is safe enough to just let them be. And if they need help, they will ask for it and people will help them. It's a novel concept. It's what happens when you don't have a completely broken country. Yeah. It, it, it's something where like, I'm trying to imagine 
a holiday in the United States that were about respecting children's personalities. And yeah, oh, you mean you mean participation trophy Saturdays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I am right now just. We're gonna get into dead or alive in a second. Trust me. Trust me. I, I'm right now looking at things they do to celebrate Children's Day. And if you ever wonder why the carp streamers are a thing, they are. Uh, it's for Children's Day, and it represents the family. I don't think I know what that is, though. Have you ever seen the kites that are fish shaped? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay. All right. Yep. Yep. But that's not what the subject of the same day audio is. Dead or alive happened this morning in Nagoya Aichi Prefectorial Gym. Attendance 2710 case. And I should say, I just finished the show. I have very little notes. I haven't typed up a review. I finished the main event, watched the post-match promo, and jumped on this call with Mike. So these are my fresh off the boat immediate thoughts. I'll have a review up of voicesofwrestling.com in words typed out on Monday. And, but in case before we get into it, I just want to make sure that ever that it's clear we are recording this Friday afternoon. It is two twenty four according to the computer that I'm looking at. East Central Daylight Time. Just 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 so we know. Dun dun dun. But attendance twenty seven ten. Twenty seven ten. So this is the second biggest crowd that has been in this building since the start of the pandemic. The only show that has this beat is last summer's July 31st G1 Climax show headlined by Tetsuya Naito versus Evil. That show did 2,741 fans, so 31 more uh, ticket buyers there to be exact. This show at 2710 increases on last year's Dead or Alive total barely. That was 2640 with Kai versus Susumu in the main event, and it beats out both of the New Japan shows that have happened in the building this year, the 1650 for Shingo versus Great Okan, New Beginning in Nagoya, and the New Japan Cup show that had 2,190 fans with Okada and Tanahashi versus Umino and Narita, Naito versus Chase Owens, and Kenta versus Sonata in the main event. So I will give my thoughts off the bat. You know, this is sort of been the theme of the podcast over the last year that I think you and I have hit on more so than just about any other outlet. This is a good number, and it shows just how dire things are in Japan. Because if you go back to 2019, Dead or Alive did 4,563 fans. That was with Pac versus Dragon Kid in a cage match with KZ, Naruki Doi, Shun Skywalker, Yamato, and Big R Shimizu in the main event. That year, there was a G1 show, Okada versus Kenta, headlining that did over 6,000 fans. And those were very good numbers. And now we look at the context of the carnage that has gone through over the last three years. This is the second most people that have been in this building, and it's barely over half of the 2019 attendance. This is a number that in the context of 2023 should be celebrated, but in the context of wrestling over the last decade, this is an abysmal number. Yeah, and it's something that I really think, and and other than the one constant thing that has drawn in Japan over the last three years being retirement shows, that this, the, the, the wrestling economy was not going to bounce back quickly. Like I know the right now, Noah's doing a little better other than, you know, that bad, uh, sumo hall number, but they're doing better in Cork and hall, but it's something where the rest of the business, like, I, I don't, I think people who expected it to be a rubber band effect that instantly when, you had less restrictions. I'm not positive. This show was not, I think tickets went on sale 
after they announced their removal of the ordinances. So it didn't have some of the restrictions we, we have seen with some of the bigger shows in the past, but it's the p- things weren't going to bounce back to 2019 instantly. And it's something that 2019 was not in a great place either. So 2710 for Dragon Gate, it's, as you said, second biggest number since COVID, which in context of that should be celebrated, but that is still one of those things where it's like, well, we got through it, pat ourselves on the back, celebrate, not necessarily like th- 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 this isn't like whenever Dynamite pops a million viewership champagne number. This is like, well, that's good. We can deal with this. No, I mean, the the Noah number in Sumo Hall was horrific. And I, I just, you know, I love nothing more than a good Noah spin. That is a bad number in Sumo Hall. And in Stardom had a rough week in Fukuoka. You know, this is what we're almost seeing this week is akin to some of the more recent WrestleMania weekends where, you know, in the golden era, you would have Gabe do a big show and you would get close to a thousand fans and maybe you would have one or two other competitors and they would, that would be the big weekend. They would draw very well there. And now with golden week, there's so many shows and it's always been in the, it's always been this way in Japan, but now with the industry being where it is, there's so many shows and, you know, yes, Big Japan had a, a a good number for Big Japan standards, I believe, and I could be wrong. I believe tickets were dirt cheap for that. DDT is not doing anything. Stardom had a bad house in Fukuoka. Noah had the abysmal sumo hall number. And Drangi, you know, again, it's year-over-year growth. It's numbers that beat out New Japan in the same building, which has to count for something because New Japan beats everybody in every building. But it's still, you know, think about that. It's basically half of the fans that were there in 2019 it's just that's rough yeah and that's on top of like that this was a cascading effect that it's not just the reality of what happened here when you look at the ecosystem right like you have to consider 2022 2021 2020 so what and i know this was a point that jay church has made before it's not just like, okay, it is, that they're dealing with the current day. It is the fact that you have this backlog now of three straight calendar years where your economic growing potential was, it was government, governmentally mandated to be halved. Like essentially, like I'm not trying to do any sort of spin of that. That's just reality of you can only run in these buildings at half the tickets that you were allowed to in the past. And that piles up. I thought the building looked full. I mean, credit it, to- And it was loud. It was a loud building too. Well, and it was it was loud in parts. That is actually uh, one of my big themes from this show. Very rarely am I distracted by a crowd and the noise or the lack thereof they make. But there were a few matches on this show that I, I was I was kind of astounded at how little noise there was. But the main event, Madoka Kakuta versus Shun Skywalker, Open the Dreamgate Championship. That was a loud crowd. Yeah. So do, should we get into the uh, big story coming out of Aichi? Let's talk about this match first, and then we'll talk about the post-match promo. All right, so the main event, we're going to work our way backwards through the show. Uh, they open the Dreamgate Championship. Madoka Kakuta defeats Shun Skywalker. The story has been finished after three rolling lariats. Shun Skywalker fails in his second defense. Madoka Kakuta is the 37th open the Dreamgate champion. He, is, he has conquered all of his ghosts of that building, and he walked out of the Aichi Prefectorial Gym two years after... The devastating injury one year after returning he walks out today as dreamgate champion let me ask you right off the bat right decision yes or no 
oh, this was the uh, this had to be the decision. Yep. The, the, it, it was something that the more that like I sat with this, and in case we've done a lot of Dragon Gate related coverage over the last three weeks about this show and his particular about this match and the finish, right? Yeah, I mean, look, the, ever since the April Corkin show a month ago, it's not like we've been going back into the archives and talk about, talking about old shows. We've been talking about Kakuta versus Shun for a month straight, uh, you know, for the bulk of the episodes. And uh, the, the central point of that uh, of that point was with the calendar this year where Kobe World, July 2nd, it is no dead or no King of Gate. We have now essentially 60 days until Kobe World who was going to be the guy walking in there. And we were trying to decide over the last month, uh, like our certainty. And I feel like two weeks ago, I became dead set on Kakuta having to win. Yeah, I, I, I was in the same spot. You know, there was a, a time where I was going back and forth, you know, at the beginning of the build, I was thinking, well, you know, Shun's so dominant. Kakuta doesn't need this win right now. He'll have another opportunity. And then the SSW quest started. And I started seeing just how hot Kakuta felt, how well he was performing. And the analogy that I've used for the last month is, you know, is this a Sami Zayn situation where maybe Kakuta winning here wasn't always the target destination, but it is the journey that we're on now. And we need to see this through. And, you know, after seeing this match, which spoiler alert, my Dragon Gate match of the year. And after seeing the finish in the post match, this was absolutely the right decision. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine a different scenario coming out of this show. They nailed the build. They nailed the dramatics of it. They nailed the finish. We have a new champion. I think all of this delivered to the highest degree possible. And it, it was something that I felt like, like after the the match and the way that they kind of conducted this match, I, I still think the Ray Day Parejas final is my match of the year currently still in Dragon Gate, but this is slot right behind that. And it's, Something where where there was a a flying hip attack into an SSW for one count where Kakuta popped up immediately. It was something where it wasn't like a build up SSW. It was kind of flash out of nowhere. And the way that Nagoya reacted to him at that point, I was like, "All right, this things are going to be fine. No, it, it, it's going to Kakuta. This is the right time for him. Yes, he's twenty three, three years in wrestling, and again." Again, he still is now the youngest Dreamgate champion of all time, and he managed to conquer that ghost. And in doing so, like this, th this never was a Sami Zayn situation. This was a Madoka Kakuta story, and they did that just from even before the bell with that VTR package case. I know you were wanting one for weeks that for that to happen, and little did we know we got one that they absolutely just destroyed. Yeah, this is exactly what it should have been like i said you know from start to finish this was the presentation that i wanted this was the match that i wanted this was the result that i wanted it harkens back to insert classic dream gate match here in terms of the presentation and a similar structure you know not not a match that it started hot uh with the with the kakuta lariat to start Shun took control, worked the shoulder, worked the shoulder, worked the shoulder, which was the right thing to do. I bought into the story from the jump. I would have been incredibly disappointed had this match not revolved around the shoulder of Madoka Kakuta. And then the comebacks, and you mentioned the spot there, primarily first the hip attack off the apron, which I just, I think that is such a good looking move. And Kakuta gained a little bit of momentum there. But as they head down the finishing stretch and Kakuta goes for a hip attack in the ring, it's countered with an SSW. 
Kakuta kicks out at one. And then from there, it, it's an all out assault until the finish. You know, there's the, the knee salt Kakuta kicks out. There is a giant moonsault from the top rope that shooting Skywalker hit, which I'm sure he's done it since this time. The last time I remember Shun coming off the top rope with a moonsault was when he knocked out Ben K. So that really caught me by surprise because this obviously used to be a signature move for him, but he's gotten bigger and more muscular. And it's just not something that I feel like I see from Shun Skywalker all that often. Maybe I'm wrong, but he hits the big moonsault. Uh, at one point, Kakuta is headbutting Shun Skywalker to counter an SSW. He hits a snap pile driver. They're trading bicycle kicks on lariats. It's just all such good stuff. It's Major League Pro Wrestling. It felt epic. It felt like a true world title match. It felt world class. And that is a testament to the talent of Skywalker and the talent of Kakuta. I just like, I really enjoyed the the aspect of this match where as it got towards it might have been like right after the 15 minute mark, but catching a uh, Skywalker in midair for a one arm power bomb. That was just when, when that happened, I was like, all right, n- now w- whatever concerns there ever was about experience or maturity with Madoka Kakuda, that's out of it because he's a big ass man who just can just pick you up in, in midair, swat you down. And I like the fact that, so it was three rolling lariats in the finish. And the overall idea was the first time uh, Skywalker, it was more of a desperation one. It took him a little bit to get the pen. The second time, Skywalker immediately rolled onto his stomach, and Kakuda couldn't get. It took too much energy. Kakuda couldn't get a a clean three. And then the final time, he just went down like a tree, flopped onto his back. Kakuda just crawled over to him, got the three count, and erupted in tears. Just perfect finish. It's amazing. Yeah, I've I've said on this podcast a number of times. You know normally by the time I get to the office in the morning, if there's a Cork and Hall show or some show that I have any desire to watch live, I can normally watch the main event and at the very least keep one eye on it while I'm doing other stuff while I'm at work. I opened my laptop, went to the Dragon Network, hit the stream. I saw the last lariat and the pinfall of this main event as soon as I opened my laptop. It was, in a way, the timing couldn't have been worse because yes, I saw the the, the finish of the main event, but I saw the pop and I saw the adulation and I just knew I was like, all right, this match is going to kick ass when I have time to sit down and watch it. Let me ask you to backtrack just for a second, because I'm, I'm curious and I want to be sure that I hit the spot. They reenact the drop toehold where Kakuta, obviously two years ago, goes down, blows out his shoulder, match in shortly after. They reenact that this year. The match, in a way, pauses when the drop toehold spot happens and then Kakuta has this moment where the camera zooms in on him. He looks up at Shun. It looks like he's ready to clock him basically with a closed right hand. And then he's in too much pain. He kind of collapses back to the mat. Did that spot register with you at all one way or another? Uh, not really, actually, to be honest. I, I only ask because for as much as I love this match, and my I mean, I went four and three quarters on it. Again, my Dragon Gate match of the year, one of the 10 best matches I've seen this year. That was NXT, uh, not Shawn Michaels' level of melodrama, but that was sort of Gargano Ciampa, Gargano Adam Cole, in that it it was almost like a video game cutscene, the way the match slowed down to such a degree, and I, I didn't need that. that. That didn't do anything for me, but everything else 
deliver to such a level that I can I can look past that completely, not feel guilty about a four and three quarter star rating that had one specific spot that I did not like. Because I mean, Mike, what is there to say about Madoka Kakuta? He's he debuted less than three years ago and he missed an entire year. He's the quickest wrestler to the open the Dreamgate Championship ever. And it's crazy because that wasn't even really a narrative that you and I talked about. This is just a guy who belonged in that spot. We never questioned it. It seemed right. We weren't worried about his age or his experience level. It was like, of course, this guy is challenging for the dream. Get, are you kidding me? He's Madoka Kakuta. He, uh, you know, for as great as Shun has been, and Shun between this match and the Yoshioka match, which I think I love more than everybody else, you know, he's got two of my very best matches of the year, but when we talk about wrestler of the year from both a flair Thez and a most outstanding perspective, you know, the names come up. It's Okada, it's Shingo, it's Mystico. And I think you're a little out of touch or your fingers off the pulse. If you're not also mentioning Madoka Kakuta. Yeah. It, it, it's something that I think the reason why we did not have that built in youngest ever quickest ever narrative was just like, I, I, I I think the story was just too good that you didn't need to even harp on that at all. Like no, he, he's look, he's always in the thick of things. He debuted. Yeah. It's it's him and Sora Fujikawa versus SB Kento and at that time Takedo Kame. It was Kento Kabune and Takedo Kame. Now Jackie Funky Kame. They debut in that empty arena match that was great, and we went through that slog, that first empty arena King of Gate that was just not fun and it was you know in the thick of okay you know now we know what COVID is and we know it's not going anywhere and this sucks may of 2020 june of 2020 sucked bad time in history and we had these four young dragon gate guys and we go okay there's something here and then kakuta starts wrestling in front of crowds and you know you and i would dig out a ton of time on this podcast and just try to figure out like Okay, what what is this dude? He's athletic and he's agile, but he also hits like Shingo and Susumu. We don't really know what his comp is. He turns heel. He becomes Hip Hop Kakuta. He hits it off there. We had Skywalker versus Kakuta at Dead or Alive 2021, and that was when you and I were harping on the age. You know, then Skywalker 25, Kakuta 21, youngest Dreamgate match in history. He goes away for a year. He comes back. And yes, the first few months of that comeback were rough, but from August of 2022 on, when he linked up with D-Courage, he's a guy who is just in the mix. He is simply too talented to be ignored. That has been the ongoing narrative since his debut. It's remarkable to see him progress the way that he has. You and I obviously had high hopes for him, even from you know May of 2020 onwards, but I don't think... I don't think you and I expected this at any point up until it was staring at us in the face four months ago when Skywalker won the belt and we realized this was a possibility. Yeah, it it just took so long to figure him out, you know, it, 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 because especially well, which is funny because it's he's just kind of a basic great wrestler. You know what I right, mean? Yeah. Like we were trying to to Zach Galifianakis gif like the equation of what he was going to be. It's like, oh, he's just a world he's just a world champion style of wrestler. Like he's just great. It it was also that he was so lanky, too. Yes. So it, it was one of those things that we did not know he had a, such a prodigious butt until <laughs> hip hop kakuta. Like, like seriously. Like, no, it was, you're right. He, 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 was he, not the, he was wearing the long boys. Yeah, he was wearing long boys. And I, the the one like facet we had about Madoka Kakuta for like the first like month or so is Oh, he has an interesting quirk that in high school he did capoeira. 
Like that was it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because I'm looking back at his at his cage match right now, and he's got that debut match. There's that Kobe Samba Hall. I, I remember this very vividly. It was August 15th, 2020, and it was Fuji, Doi, Kondo, and Susumu versus Kanto Kabune, Kakuta, Fujikawa, and Kamei. And that match kicked all sorts of ass, and Kakuta went right at Kondo. And that was when you and I were both like, yo, like, th- what what do we have here? And then if you remember, he started kind of teaming with Kamei for a little bit, and we thought that was going to be the way that he really broke into the roster. And then SBK is born, he turns heel, and then Kakuta follows him shortly after, and it becomes those guys against Kamei for the most part. And again, he was heated up for Dead or Alive 2021. You know, I would love to know the alternate timeline he was obviously going to lose to Shun there, but I would love to know what would have happened had it just been a normal match and instead he goes away. But after finding his footing again in 2022, it, it took him two or three months, but he just he just demands the spotlight. He demands attention, and it, it's a credit to just how talented he is. And also, it is a, one of those things that really kind of took, takes you back about him when he joined D-Courage is his talking. He is someone who is... Uh, the the for like years case it was always the young guys can't cut promos they don't have any charisma and in the post match of this of course the ch- new champion gets the microphone and he cuts this incredibly impassioned promo that the crowd was reacting to and most notably he called out Kota Minora, Binkei, Yuki Oshioka, Strong Machine J, and mentioned the fallen Shun Skywalker in the ring with him and proclaim them the next big six, that the leaders of the new generation are now here. So, Case, you were talking about era changes a couple of weeks ago. Well, it's now cemented. Oh, I mean, this is straight up adapt or die. It's in your face at this point. I mean, you and I have been leading the charge on this for years. I, I you know, I, I will always point to the podcast I did with Alan Forel in 2019, where we were both like, hey, do you notice these young guys have a real different approach to wrestling than than the previous previous generation did. And we talked about that. And, you know, my point over the years has been, look, the core components of this promotion are the same. It's just new names. And Kakuta really being out front and being in your face and being so obvious about it it is a testament to that ideology that it's, it's the brand is the draw. There's a new big six. There's these guys that, are either ready in the case of Yoshioka, Kakuta, and Shun to lead. And then they have, you know, they have question marks. What's the ceiling of Strong Machine J? What's the ceiling of Kota Minora? It, it's a very interesting predicament to be in. And it harkens back to just the well-oiled machine that is Dragon Gate. I, I think the thing I enjoyed about, like, those six guys is that you could you already have pair-offs there. You have Shun and Ben, of course. Forever Link Classic 2016, you have their 2019 and the matches they had since then. And then you have Yoshioka and Minora, Forever Linked. And then you have Strong Machine J and I guess Kakuta. And I find that kind of interesting. It, it, it's kind of like the Tozawa add-on in a way. Can I give you, you, you and I both love the gift and the curse that is Sports Talk Radio, correct? Oh, absolutely. I listen to several hours of sports talk radio every day. That's just I that's just funny knowing you because it, it, there's a part of me that can't imagine you doing that and there's also the part of me that goes, "No, that's that's Mike." Can, can I give you 
the Dragon Gate Sports Talk radio take coming out of today. All right. Uh, all right. Are we do- doing W-E-E-I? We're doing Mike and the Mad Dog. We're doing the ticket. What what, what style are we doing this? Rome? I, I'm doing oh, – oh, my God. If I could, if I could do – Dragon Gate talk Jim Rome style. Oh my god. Welcome to the jungle, baby. We're here today. <laughs> oh. Bring your takes. No weak takes here. <laughs> I'm gonna do your your average local ESPN affiliate. All and right. I'm gonna, All right. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tease what's coming up after the commercial break. Okay. This is in full transparency. This is a bit that I stole from Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo because it makes me laugh every time they do it. But the the sports talk take coming out of Dead or Alive. Coming up after the break. I'm going to tell you why Casey not being one of the new big six is the best thing to ever happen in his career. How does that sound? Oh, that was great. I was about ready to do a live read for a local CBD store. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me tell you about Blue Chew real quick, fellas. Things not going well down there. Well, that's okay. There's a pill for that now. <laughs> Do you find yourself in an audio uh, in an auto wreck? You need to call our friends at Fuji and Mochizuki at Learner and Row two 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 twenty two twenty two. You know, there's um the the radio station that I work for. We we own the company that I work for owns Westwood One. So every morning, whether it's Jeff Jarrett or Arn Anderson or the new one that's running is Matt Hardy, I get these horrific one minute long commercial breaks of a new Conrad Thompson show. And so the one that's, that's like Matt Hardy's running now, it's like Matt Hardy's lived life extreme. And then it's a, it's always an awful soundbite of the wrestler talking. And this one is just like, you know, if you love WWE or AEW, it's a good time to be a wrestling fan. That's me, Matt Hardy. That's my opinion on things. We get pretty extreme on my podcast every week and it's the dirt fucking worst. I hate them. I can just imagine Matt saying that in that Cameron draw too. The the Arn Anderson one, I almost felt bad because his audio sounded bad and whatever. I always think like, God, that's the best clip they can use for the podcast. This podcast <laughs> must suck. Like this is awful. The the double J ones are at least it's double J, so he can kind of sell you like he can sell water to a well. It's always like, well, yeah, I, I could see myself listening to that, but the majority of them. There, it's always a Conrad show, and they're always just horrendous. And now we're back. Case, you were saying KZ, the best thing to happen to him not being a member of a Big Six. I'm putting you on the spot. Defend that take. As like Man in the Box by Allison Chains, the bed music plays underneath me. But it's just look, everybody has been waiting for KZ time. It's it's a meme at this point. It's almost you know Naito winning the IWGP Heavyweight Championship levels of you know when will this happen? If this it, you know it's not exactly when. It's more of if KZ not as hot as Naito ever was, but this this is noticeable that KZ's not a member of that generation and KZ tweeted out. And I would assume that it's, you know, a character tweet. I don't want to dive too into the psyche of this, but he tweeted out something along the lines of, you know, it's very apparent when somebody's name isn't mentioned referring to himself. And this now gives him, as we talked about, probably the, probably the need to shake the snow globe just because it's not that there's not talent on this roster, but guys like Kai and Hyo, little stale, Guys in natural vibes, so talented, but all kind of clumped together. Decourage, are we going to keep them as three? Are we going to expand them to five? Are we going to break them up? There's all of these unanswered questions. What about Dragon Daya being left off that list? 
Oh, that's a, that's a good point, but that that doesn't surprise me as much. I don't look at Daya as a as an A level player, and that's yeah. not that's not an insult. You know, he is company mascot is his role just like dragon kid he doesn't need to be on those lists he's an nba all-star he's not an all nba player do you you know what i mean by that oh absolutely so and he has a different role that in many ways is more important than being a group of six yes yeah his his popularity is not going to be defined by whether or not he's a main eventer he has his lane he sticks in that lane it's an asset to the company that he sticks in that lane he's good to go where he is but for casey I would certainly think as we approach the summer months, this gives him an edge. And two years ago at this time, we were talking about, you know, oh, it's it's weird that natural vibes actually reformed, that KZ's not turning heel. And I certainly don't want to just float that ideology out there because it's something that you know has been talked about for years at this point. But we also kind of have to at least put that on our radars again, that this could be the way that we approach the summer months again where does Shun go? Where does Kai go? Where does Hyo go? Diamante appears to be losing that mask sooner rather than later. Those unanswered questions with the rest of the Zebrats group. This seems like the time that people are shuffled aside and maybe now we get the KZ heel turn. Yeah, and it's something that you look at the the roster and the state of contemporaries at this point and slowly but surely... That generation, I mean, the the person who's really stuck in all this, like KZ, you know, I, you laid out like this is this shake the snow globe moment here. The person that, you know, I feel like is really at risk here, Shimizu. How so? Just because, like, it is already kind of a difficult thing for with like Shimizu as a main eventer. It's always been one of those things because of character personality wise that like that there was always a level of risk with him. And we've seen that with how he's been booked throughout the years. I, I think that's fair to say, right? Yes. Yep. And with like like with KZ, like the easy thing is oh he uh, is oh Kakuda's thinking of his generation. KZ debuted is a contemporary of Yamato. Like it does that that does not entirely line up there. But Shimizu is someone that's not much older than like Yuki Oshioka or at least Benke. You know, yeah, well it's weird because KZ debuted in 2006, but it, it's as if he re-debuted in 2015. You know, I don't look at him as a contemporary of Yamato, even if he is, I really, I actually, I kind of look at him as a contemporary of Shimizu, who two weeks from now, it'll be his 10th anniversary in wrestling. He debuted May, 2013 towards the end of the month. So I, I don't, I don't worry about Shimizu because I, I think he's actually, I think he's in a similar spot to dragon Daya. His role is there. You know, Shimizu is going to be a twin gate champion. He's going to be a triangle gate champion. Unless, a miracle happens and he either gets a really hot or B the company takes a really weird direction. His role as a main eventer is going to be a guy that you can beat to retain the dream gate belt. Had I been calling the shots in 2017, 2018, I, I think I would have really taken Shimizu seriously as a main eventer. At least I would have tried to, I don't know if he ever got the real shot that he deserved to be that top line one, a level guy, but I think that time has passed. I, I think it would have actually been bizarre had he been out of the ring with Yoshioka, with Strong Machine J, with Kakuta. Those those are guys that 
I don't want to say they passed them by, but I don't I don't look at them as sharing any sort of uh, similarities other than the company they work for. That's fair. That's fair. It, it's just like when when you had that list of those guys, like that is the noticeable one that I'm like he always kind of was like a weird position because of he didn't really have contemporaries, but you would slot him like Ata in with like a certain group. And it's just like, Oh, makes kind of noticeable without him. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess the closest thing he has to that is I associate him with Ben just because of the tag team, but right. You know, he, he debuts in 2013 and look at the people that are around him. You know, it's Maria and Ata two years before him. It's T-Hawk a year before that. UT and him debut around the same time. Same with L. Lindemann, but Lindemann's gone. And it's not like Shimizu and UT have a, a storied history with one another. And then it, you you go ahead and it's, okay, it's the class of 2016, and they have their own deal going on. It, right. It's part of the reason, you know, I choose to believe, and and the career of Ata is certainly in an interesting place right now, where I think everybody, with the exception of Ata and maybe Nozawa, has more questions than answers, but... I choose to believe part of the reason that Ata was exploring other pastures was who's who's he there to work with? You know, Ben has Shun and Ben has Strong Machine J and Yoshioka has Shun and Yoshioka has Kakuta. They have all these new guys. Ata, unbeknownst to him, seemingly overnight became the old guard, and I don't think he was ready for that. And, I, you know, Shimizu uh, seems to have accepted that position a little more gracefully. That That's a fair point. Yeah, it, it, it's just something that like I always like taking stock of like classes with this, and and this is something very much. You have two 2016s, you have a 2018, and then you have uh, Kakuda 2020 mentioned there, and it's just like oh, kind of interesting to see the like who is here and who's not. Completely. Uh, do you have any other big thoughts on the main event before we start working our way back? It was really good. I, I really, I hope, I hope this match gets passed around. I hope people watch it that maybe aren't as up to date with the promotion as they could be. Like I said, I went four and three quarter stars. I will have extended coverage of this match in particular up at voiceofwrestling.com on Monday. Yep. I was four and a half. So, you know, just, just a shade off. But I, as I said earlier, I, th- I think Ray Dapere House was my top match. I had that at four and three quarters. So there we go there. The semi-main event was for the Open the Twin Gate Championships. It was Noah's Congo of Kano and Shuji Kondo defending against Zebrats, Kai, and Ishin. This one, there wasn't much doubt about it. Kano get, got the win with the professional foot stomp on Ishin after a high kick and a long slap battle. In case, the big big story here, Ishin in this role. I felt like he I felt like he acquitted himself well, and, and there were moments here. I was like, all right, Ishin, there you go. I felt like that Ishin had a strong night when he needed to. 100%. No, this was a great Ishan performance. And I, you know, I've been going back and forth ever since he reemerged after missing the month of March. Some of these shows I go, okay, all right, there's the guy that I, I know has a ton of, poten- of potential. And then, you know, there have been times where I go, well, I don't know what this act is. This isn't landing for me. And although I think the die job is very bad, I think it aged him like 15 years the in-ring here was fantastic. I mean, this is the exact type of thing that if he doesn't deliver against Kondo and Kano, being the wrestler that he is, you go, ooh, okay, what's what's going on here? But he silenced any of those doubts, in my opinion. And it was something that really struck me in this was Shuji Kondo was very giving to Ishin. Like, the, the, like the, the two Kongo Twin Gate champions, 
it, it almost felt like in a way it's like all right we're about to the, this kid's going to be eating the fall and he's going to basically be knocked out here we're going to do whatever we can to make him look strong in the lead up there because you had moments like how he was fighting for the death penalty and did a kamada style choke slam on kondo before the finishing stretch where it was like all right ishan you're showing even though you are shorter that you have the sumo background and that you're able to put up against the power fighters and i think some credit there has to go to kondo and kano with for that oh my god i mean you know kano i'm looking at the noah schedule right now kano is wrestling nakajima in a singles match in shinjuku face on may 31st and i all i'm doing is sitting here thinking can't can't that be the write-off for kano can that be his last match can nakajima kick him in the head and kick him straight to drangi because this guy this guy gets it, Mike. I, I, he just fits in so seamlessly here. Kano and KZ, new heel group leader, sounds perfect to me. Right? Oh, my God. I, I, you know, I, I, that's the thing. I mean, I, I brought that up a month ago. I said, you know, if, if the money wasn't a, a question, if everything worked out the way that you wanted it to, would you trade Kano for Ata straight up at this point if you're Drangate? And the answer, you know, I think for both of us was absolutely. Because Kano, Kano feels fresh and... You know, his career is going to be defined by being wrong place at the wrong time. He was in a, you know, a, a death store era of Michinoku Pro. In a way, Noah has simultaneously treated him incredibly well and also poorly. Like, it just depends on what booking regime is in charge. You know, he's going to get squashed by Muto, but he is also a, a top guy there. It's it's very bizarre. He's like a top guy that doesn't get any respect, basically, is how I feel about it. And I just know here, you know... Would he be a future Dreamgate champion? No, probably not. I think this was the perfect role for him. Just pairing him off, you know, twin gate team here, triangle gate team here, twin gate team here, triangle gate team here. And I think he could have a very, very prosperous late stage of his career if he had the opportunity to do that and chose to do that. Yeah, and it, it, he's someone that like the, the, the one bright spot of the constant annoyance of the Noah Dragon Gate relationship is when we get to see Kano here. And he has fit like a glove since the start, and he continued to do so. Ishan's low Topekon hello in this crazy, match. crazy, just wild. Just this guy who's put on visibly, I would say, twenty five pounds of mass, maybe thirty. Like he's put on a significant amount. He's completely changed his body type, and he's running and doing silky smooth uh, bottom second rope Topekon hellos to the outside. What the hell? Speaking of changing body types, have you seen his brother? Yeah, he's doing pro bodybuilding now, right? That's why he's a fan. Yeah, Open Voicegate on Twitter, there is photos of the recent bodybuilding meet that both Ricky Ihashi and Ishin Ricky, their father, competed in, which I don't know. There's something very off to me about a father-son bodybuilding team. That just feels like something that belongs in Miami. I don't know if that's an accurate representation or not. It just it just has has a level of seediness to it that I don't enjoy. It's just you know what it is. It's the tan. Yeah, he is very tan and also has cornrows now. Yeah, the cornrows are are, are more just a treat for us to get. Yeah, which like, like, I'm not gonna get mad about it. He looks fucking sick. If I could have cornrows, I would. Ricky Hashi looks good with them. It's not a knock on him, but he is very tan and very veiny. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Ishan's like, well, my dad was a sumo. I can look like a sumo. 
Yeah, no, Ishan was great here. I, I, you mentioned it earlier, but the the death penalty spot, which is his submission, which he was able to get on Kondo after a bunch of struggle, that getting broken up with a top rope foot stomp from Kano, that that leads to the finish there. That is, that is good stuff there. I, I really, I, I'm assuming at this point, given the calendar and you know where we're at in it, that Kondo and Kano are going to go into Kobe World as Twin Gate champions. Do we have a date on their match with Susumu and Kondo? Do we know when that's going to be? No, we don't, and that's what I wonder if they're going to use this on one of those Corkins and one of those two Corkins in June, or if this is something that they're going straight into that. Because in the post match, Kano cuts a promo saying, "Where are the teams? Who wants to face us?" Continues does not shut up. By the time he shuts up, and I, after a spiel saying no one in Dragon Gate wants to feed him, it's Susumu and Kanda, the original tag team, up there ready to go. God, I, I don't know the state of Mochizuki Junior.'s injury. You know, we talked about that last week, or I guess Monday, where Minorita, by accident, basically gave him a shoot DDT, was stretchered off on a house show. Uh, It seems now that he can move around, that, you know, whatever feeling he lost, and it does seem like he lost feeling in his body, at least momentarily, that's all back. He was watching the show from his house and in live tweeting it, which I enjoyed. But if he can get healthy enough for World... Kondo and Kano versus the Mochizukis for the Twin Gate belts. That seems like the move, right? Oh, Kano has to hate Mochizuki Jr. That'd be perfect. Yeah, that that, I, that was not on my radar until this this Susumu and Kanda team appeared as challengers. And they're going to, I mean, Susumu and Kanda are winning that match. So you might as well go to the other half of M3K there. And that's how you get the belts off of those guys. I really like that idea. So, sorry to fantasy book something that might not happen for health reasons more than anything. But <laughs> uh, look, Mike, every once in a while, I have a really good idea, and that is one of them. And you just got to get it out because if you don't get it out, you're going to forget the idea. Yes, completely. Yeah. And it, it, oh, okay, go go to the Susumu and Kanda. Just give us Mochizuki's in, on July 2nd. Yeah. T- take the loss, like gentlemen, and then right this way, other members of M3K. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. I was four and a quarter on this. Uh, how are you? Four flat. Four flat. I, I would have liked to have seen this, and I have a, a similar comment about another match that I went four stars on. Look, it was great. Notebook match, four stars. It also could have gone on five minutes longer, and this is uh, v- very much one of those cases there. Yeah, I know we haven't talked uh, big picture thoughts about the show, but it, there there was a feeling in it, uh, on the show, especially before we got to the main event, that there were some matches that I was like, all right, we're 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 done here. And there's some matches I was like, what? I thought we were just getting going. That seems to be just the way Drangate is now. I think we say that after every big show. And it, it seems to happen in particular with these Bravegate matches, which, you know, okay, that's the other match. I, you know, I thought Jason versus Daya, that went 11 minutes. And I think that could have gone 17 very easily. And I think, I think right. it would have been a better match with the length. I, I don't know what that is. And that changed a few years ago where yeah. these big shows, you know, the matches get time, but they also, there's a lot of matches that could get more time. Right. And I, you know what I think it boils down to? What's that? Rio Saito needs his own Will Washington. So, case pack your bags. You're going to Kobe. I, I, w- I would love that. I, I'm afraid it would be bad news for Rio Saito, even if he's doing a good job as a booker. Uh, because I, because you're going to do such a good job and you'll take over the book. Is that what you're insinuating? I just don't see myself working alongside Rio Saito. I just see I just feel like that's a bad idea. Yeah, I, I as soon as I proposed this, I, I took a step back and I was like, the vibes of that relationship, I don't know. I, I think it was 
Yeah, it, the Genki interview, not not when I talked to him, but the Genki interview that he did with Pure Riso today that I, I quoted heavily in my El Numero Uno retrospective, there's a passage there that I didn't use where they ask him about, you know, you've known Rio Saito since he broke into wrestling. What's he like as your boss now? And Genki's like, eh, it's it's weird because like he gets mad at things now and he used to just be my friend, but he actually, he, he treats me like an employee sometimes. Like he is the boss. And, uh, I don't know. My history with Rio Saito already seems a little too checkered to work alongside him. Yeah. You know, it, 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 I feel like that it, it's one of those things that y- you're going to have to have a lot of patience. And, uh, y- you know, he only got like a smartphone, like a couple years ago. Right. The thing, the thing about working with Rio Saito it's not the late night booking meetings, scratching together plans six months down the road on a napkin. It's the bus ride to Kyoto where he's just being <laughs> fucking annoying. That's what's going to get me. <laughs> it's when you're off the clock. Yes, exactly. It's just, you know, you have those people where sometimes you don't need extra time with them. You, you, they, they're in your life for a very specific purpose. And once you uh, go outside of those bounds it gets ugly, and that that would be the working relationship there. Brother, do I know about that right now? <laughs> do I know? <laughs> Counting down till Tuesday when someone can be out of my, could stop existing in my life forever. I hear you that hundred ten percent. Wow! All right, dirt from Mike Spears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, let's just say that I, I I'm ready for everything to be done with my move right now. There's one person driving me insane, but. You know what was not driving me insane? I was a little surprised about this case. Okay, go ahead. The special tag match. Uh, Yamato and Yuki Yoshioka facing off against Dragon Kid and pro wrestling Noah's Naomichi Marifuji. It was Marifuji, the outsider, getting the win after a pinfall exchange with a modified cradle on Yoshioka in about 13 minutes and 40 seconds. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards... It sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded 
by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I don't know. I, this, I mean, this wasn't bad by any means. Part of it might be maybe, maybe I deserve to give this match a second viewing because I was watching this show as fast as I could and I hit the Triangle Gate match and I'm thinking, all right, Twin Gate match, Dream Gate match, here we go. And then I remembered this existed and I just wanted this match to be over more than anything. But I, you know, it was a touring Marafuji match in 2023, which is fine. You know, he's got to chop people really hard, but did it, it didn't really jump out to me as anything spectacular. You know, what's jumped out to me on this match. And, and this is my own sick amusement case. Okay. Maybe don't book Marafuji the day after he has a, let me see how long uh, the, the main event for the Noah show was, but maybe not don't have him booked for your pay-per-view the day after that. That's not a, that's not a bad point at all. That, let me see that match went with Jake Lee. Cause now I'm curious too. It went 25 minutes, 28 seconds. So he went half hour essentially. With Jake yeah. Lee. And, then, and then plus let's say another 15 minutes. I mean, that's as 45 minutes in two days is as much as Marafuji's worked in seven or eight years. It feels like. And I felt like, and, and I know, uh, Marafuji is almost a meme now with how slow he is. It was very noticeable for me as someone who, yeah, I, I, I think it's pretty well known in my opinion on pro wrestling. Noah, I'm not going out of my way to watch their shows, but whenever you see Marafuji, it's notable. Like he, and, and of course that's time, but it, it was something that was like, oh, I remember in the past he was up for Dragon Gate speed. Now, not so much. Maybe don't do this after he had a main event uh, sumo hall. It does feel like historically a giant missed opportunity to where Marafuji only first wrestled in Dragon Gate in 2019 to not have just a random, you know, because there's like the Kenta Ishimori tag with BB right. Shingo to not have just a random Marafuji Dragon Gate Cork and Hall appearance in 2008 or whatever is just what a bummer because there's the, the other one is the the Typhoon six man. That right. Sh- Shima and Marafuji have that big square off in Noah, which is awesome. That match is great. But how do we not have like a Marafuji and Speed Muscle match somewhere? Yeah, like like that's a, that really is the thing. Because even in 2019 when he was showing up, it was like he was fine and he was working with people that weren't necessarily pushing the pace. But it was one of those things like he was like doing like his uh, Magic Tiger kick where it was just like, oh, that was kind of sad. Yeah, I, I you know, again historically i think people have been far too rough on him so this isn't an anti marafuji brigade by any means i just i i'm not i'm not into this like i would have been there are other outsiders that i would have liked to have seen you know i i think specifically when this match was announced i thought well god that's a bummer because 
Fujita Jr. Hayato just worked the Mochizuki shell. How exciting would it have been for him to work this shell? You know, there, there's just, I, I have no use for this. And I also don't like, given the context of the main event, the new big six, these are the guys. And one of those guys got pinned by Amira Fuji. That really bugs me. At least it was a flash pin exchange. Yeah, but I don't like it. I, I, I understand it's Yamato, and Yamato is not taking pinfalls unless he absolutely has to. To me, this is a scenario where he absolutely has to. Or you have Dragon Kid right there. They made a meme of beating him up in his hometown. Perfect opportunity. Eat the Darkness Buster from Yoshioka. Move on with your life. Marafuji doesn't need the win, and Yoshioka certainly doesn't need to lose. Yeah, and the one thing I'll say is, like, we talked about this with Jay a couple weeks ago. This was not the kind of win that gave me any sort of fear that we're looking at Marafuji main eventing uh, Kobe World. No, no, that seems to be uh, only paranoia, which is good, and not any sort of realistic uh, valley that they'd go down. Yeah, no. Uh, plus, that would draw awful. Uh, <laughs> yes, it would. And, yeah, yeah. And the post match stuff, hey, Marafuji's theme could barely like reach its like rising crescendo because Stalker Ichikawa immediately comes out once a rematch of of uh, Final Gate 2019 where famously Sakura Chikawa lost his mask and then two months later just put it right back on and that led into an impromptu special match there Naomichi Marafuji versus Konomao Ichikawa and Konomao Ichikawa ate a picture perfect hook kit looking away and just Marafuji just it, it, it was almost like crow cop level of left leg hospital right leg cemetery it was perfect <laughs> It was like, I'm okay. Marafuji. I'm okay. If cyber agent allegedly paid to get Marafuji on the show, because that was a picture perfect moment case. Oh, I forgot that. That's what, that's what the crow cop gimmick was. That's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) He is the crow cop to Konamawa Chikawa. I might, I might watch crow cop versus Fedor after we're done here. That's just, that put me in a, in a pride FC mood. If I, if I've ever been on one, Go be a wild boy. I love it. I love it. I, I, went, I, I, you know, as all 18 or 19 year olds do, I went through a big pride phase a few years ago where I just, I got fight pass and I watched all the fights I need to watch. And I thought it's a shame this doesn't exist now. I love this promotion. And then it went away. No, you, you see, you missed out because I know fight pass did not have entrances on there. Correct. Ah. Oh. Crook up at the best entrance. But I, I know because I think it I think it got taken down off YouTube, but before that fight, they have it's the greatest hype video of all time. The Fedor Crocop fight in 2006 has just the the most badass intense. I gotta see if it's still on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, because that's the one that that Krokop is with the Croatian special forces, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, God. And, and and he's coming down to Duran Duran with like the multiple stages, come down with all time, like Top five entrance, all time f- wrestling, boxing, whatever. Crow Cop before the Ifador fight. Damn, I wonder if a wrestling company should be like Pride. Oh wait, no, they tried that horrible idea. What about it? If someone instantly became in money and decided that wrestling needed to be more like Pride again, <laughs> that would be that'd be fascinating. It looks like okay, so it looks like that fight is on YouTube again, but I don't see the hype video anywhere. That's a <sighs> bummer. Bummer whatsoever. But yes, uh. Uh, the uh, the uh, the special match two minutes, just come out, just ate it. it yeah, was, th- this this was a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, third title match, as Case was mentioning a minute ago, was for the Open the Triangle Gate Championship. It was Gold Class, the champion team of Kota Minora, BB Hulk, and Binke defending against 
Natural Vibes, KZ, Big Boss, Shimizu, and Strong Machine J. And it was Gold Class retaining this one as uh, as uh, Kodama Noura locked uh, Strong Machine J and the Ingranaje focusing on that factory replaced shoulder. I saw this get a lot of praise in the Voices of Wrestling Discord, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I dislike the match, but I'm going to hand it off to you real quick. I'd like to know your thoughts first. I thought it was very good, but I did not reach that peak either. I was four flat on this. I thought that it was solid. I thought that the crowd got into it towards the closing stretch. The closing stretch, the sprint portion of the match was great. Like, I was really enjoying that. But the rest of it, it was kind of all right. I mean, there was an audible squeal for that flying shoulder tackle near fall. But, like, it, it was a solid triangle gate match. But this was out of the title matches. This was probably the one that I came into thinking that it was going to have, like, a baseline level. All the other title matches, I'll be honest, I'll, I, I, we've buried the lead for 55 minutes. I thought all the title matches over-exceeded, except this one. I didn't end up going notebook on this, and it's not, not I mean, the finishing stretch was awesome. Ben K was great. You know, Menor was great outside of dropping Strong Machine J on his head by accident. Jay was great. There's a lot that I liked here. I thought the first half of this match was dreadfully boring. You know, it was... It was not a, a Dragon Gate match that had a slow build, and by the end of it, you went, all right, it was worth it. You know, the, the payoff here was good. I was checked out about halfway through this match, and it's probably not until the Ben K gut rich suplex on, I, I think it was Strong Machine J, whoever it was. Right. You know, he, does the, he does that pinning attempt counter. That was kind of where the match jumped out to me. Of like, oh, that, okay, this is this is good now. And again, from there, you know, KZ, great. The, the sequence with Big Ben, fantastic. A lot to like here, but it just, it took too long to get going. It really, it it sucked my enjoyment out to a degree that I wasn't expecting, even if I ended up at three and three quarters. Yeah, this took a long time to get going. Like, and it was not that I thought the work was poor when it, in the opening stages, it just was solid and slow. And this was the match that I could have probably gone Take a couple minutes of that and then give it to the Brave Gate here. Oh my God, it would have been would have been much appreciated. Again, good stuff here. You know, I, I really like the strike sequence with Casey and Menor where they're trading forearms. Casey hits the ropes. It looks like obviously he's going to attack Menor, and instead he ducks him and, and does a Mission Impossible over the top rope. That stuff is great. It just, I, man, to get to that point though, not enjoyable. Speaking about enjoyable in this case, uh, we, we got to talk about Ultima match here. Uh, Ultimo at teamed with uh, Naruki Doi, Ultimo Dragon Naruki Doi versus Z Bretz, Diamante, and Hio. All right, let's unpack this. Uh, th- this was immediately gone into the mask ripping. We 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 all knew that this would be leading towards the mask versus mask match, and that's what this was all about. Ultimo a- in the end fully unmasked Diamante. They start uh, throwing around the mask there. Hio gets uh, gets dispatched. He gets a distracted La Magistral. Where Doi holds down Diamante, who's face down with his hair covering his face. I oh boy, this match. First of all, did did you catch on English commentary? Did you watch the English commentary? Yes, I did. Did you catch the separado scoop that Jay laid out for everybody? Hey, Jose Miguel's label just doesn't want to. They, they don't want to do things separate. They want to bundle the entire catalog. That was very interesting. That if you don't normally watch the English commentary, watch the Zebras interest at the very least, because Jay dropped a bunch of stuff that I found to be fascinating. But as for the match, 
it's clear they're doing Ultimo versus Diamante, mask versus mask at some point. And I am going to urge anybody with any power listening, do not do that match in Japan. I was uncomfortable at how quiet the crowd was for this. It was eerily silent in the building. And this is Ultimo's hometown. You know, maybe you get some some hardcore Tokyo fans that would care a little bit more. Maybe they care in Kobe just because it's Drangi, but I don't think you're going to get a more receptive audience than this. And this audience was not receptive whatsoever. Yeah, it, this was when, when we were talking about the crowd being up and down. The crowd essentially sat on their hands for 15 minutes. This was bad. I mean, this was just, it was strange because it wasn't a bad match. I don't feel like it overstated its... Ultimo was into it. This was the most into anything Ultimo has been since before Santo been here. Completely. You're, you're, you're exactly right. And it's because he's worked with Diamante, who's his other guy, and he's teaming with Doi. Who, you know, it's, it's a friendly environment for Ultimo to be in, but no one cared. I mean, no one cared. I think I cared more than anybody else because I'm, I'm invested in this because I want to see the mask match, and I want to see Diamante go face. I'm into all of that. It just, you know, again, like Jay said on the show last week, there's talk of doing a Toriyama Mexico show. That has to be the main event. You cannot do that in Japan because I think they will care in Mexico way more than they ever would in Japan. Now, Case, okay, so I'm going to take off the kick gloves here for a second. Okay. Would Mexico really care? Like, like Diamante, just for peop- for the folks who did not follow CMLL in the early uh, 2010s, he, he worked for CMLL for a couple years. He worked... He might have done one of the Liga Elite shows, but he was not any sort of star in Mexico. I don't. I feel like that if this happens, Torreon, Mexico, that is where it should be because we've seen Ultimo basically. I mean, this he walked into promotion to dead silence in 2019 in Tokyo. So it does not necessarily completely make sense to do it in Japan. But I'm not convinced that Diamante in Mexico is the kind of level star. I feel like that you would still be trading more on Ultimo Dragon and Torimon's name than you would be Diamante. I might be completely wrong, but my impression that I get is that not that Diamante is an unknown in his native country. It's just that he's not someone that commands that kind of, of attention. I'm looking back through some Dragon Mania cards of previous years right now, and I think while you are in the correct line of thinking of Diamante is not a big star in Mexico, you clearly have to draw some sort of house if you're going to do this. I point you, my, my evidence will, will begin and end here. The 2009 Dragon Mania 4 main events. Hair versus mask match. Ultimo Dragon defeats Hajime Ohara. I think Diamante matters to every human being on Earth other than Ohara's mother more than Ohara did in that match. So I, I think that I, is I a, a worthy that. main event. It is a, is a worthy main event. Again, look through the history of these of these Dragon Mania main events. And these are Arena Mexico shows, which is crazy. But, you know, Ultimo Guerrero versus Tiger Ali. That is one of them. There's a bunch of six-mans, you know, Caristico, Octagon, and Ultimo Dragon versus Fuerza Guerrero, Memphisto, and Tiger Ali. The last one was Caristico, Kento Miyahara, and Ultimo Dragon versus the aforementioned Diamante and uh, Migro 1 and 2. I don't I don't understand necessarily where Ultimo Dragon is at as a star in Mexico in 2023, but I do know that him versus Diamante sounds far more intriguing than some of these matches that don't have the Torimon name value attached to them and still headline a big arena. 
Yeah, and I think the other side of that coin is how much of a true star is he in Japan at this point, too? Yeah, I think Diamante could could be a big star, and I think Ultimo Dragon at this point is a name that used to mean something, which I, I'm not breaking any news there. That's not a no, scorching hot no. take. Yeah, no, no, man. Essentially, that that's the point with this. And then I... I guess the thing about Mexico, though, is like you want to get that unmasked moment where everyone goes like, oh, this guy's a hunk. And you're not going to get that in Japan if you do it in Mexico. No, but imagine him maskless walking through the entrance of Cork and Hall for the first time. Hello, that that in class. itself is a, is a moment. Yeah, he's, he's, he's doing the Val Venus gimmick. That, no, uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I said, hello, gold class. Oh, I thought you said, hello, ladies. Uh, no, yeah, but, no, but I mean, he would be saying that because he'd be in gold class immediately. Yeah, he when he loses his mask, he should come to the ring in a towel. I mean, that, they should <laughs> lean into it to that degree. This is getting a little bit too, too close to pheromones for me. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Well, well, so, so, sometimes I scroll through my feed. And I'll see a, a tweet from the DDT account, and it's I I'm stunned. I mean, I not I'm no prude, but I don't want to. I like that's what they're doing is fucking insane. And they're owned by a media company. It's it's so gnarly and so past the point of like, oh, it's Dino. It's not for me. It, you know, it's a little graphic or whatever. It's intense at this point to just a degree that again, it just shocks me whenever I see it. If that was happening in the United States, that'd be a Supreme Court case immediately. We have a new rule about obscenity. Yeah, and you know we'd have uh, Bussy to to weigh in on it with a with a lengthy Twitter thread that I'm sure would be really rational and greatly appreciated. Should we talk about something a lot happier? Let's do it. The open the Actually, break. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm looking at the 2019 Dragon Mania card. Can I run a match by you real quick? Okay, please do. <laughs> so again, main event was Karistico, Kento Miyahara, and Ultimo versus Diamante and Negro One and Two. Which, whatever. Sure. Third from the bottom. Third match on the show. Vinny Masaro defeats Kaisuke Yakuda. Fingers emoji. Fingers emoji. Fingers emoji. That is a capital A, capital M match. <laughs> the, 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 that was a match that people just started connecting the dots of Okuda and Dragon immediately. Yeah. Yes. I I was just thinking that. I was like, well, you know, I wonder if Okuda would show up on a Torimon Mexico show instead of a, a Dragon Gate show. I I don't think so, but it's fun to think about. I I I think the hands are clean of that guy. Uh, I, I I believe you're right. Let's talk about this Brave Gate match. This was very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good transition there. Okuda, former Brave Gate tra- champion. Talking about the Brave Gate. There we go, Case. We made it work. Uh, open a Brave Gate championship match. Jason Lee versus Dragon Daya. Jason Lee makes his first defense with the Hong Kong Tornado in only 11 minutes and 41 seconds. Give Make this a 15-minute match, and this would be four and a half stars, maybe four and three quarters. The work here was flawless. Uh, you know, it, it's almost hard to go move by move here because everything everything worked you know the, the vampire scissors that die hit that was perfect it looked great the the sequence that jumped out to me and I, i'm sure it's the same for you jason lee hits an okada level drop kick dragon dia pops up goes for the reptilian that's counted into a powerbomb and an elbow for a two count that was when this match really took the uh, i knew at that point it was spreadsheet material yeah, yeah. if there was like ever one moment in a match that you instantly go like, all right, this is the new guideline we're working with. It starts right here. That was it. Uh, the, the thing that struck me, Case, and I was actually like, this was not touched on commentary at all, which surprised me a little bit. The story of the match was Jason Lee through the year of Masquerade completely scouted and knew every single thing that Dragon Dio was going to throw at him. 
Yeah, which, you know, not something I expected, not something I had totally put together myself, but it makes sense, you know, and that is sort of the the vintage Drangate thing. It, it It's not something that I necessarily anticipate all the time. It's not something I see coming, but when it's laid out in front of you like this and it's executed to the degree that it's executed, you go, oh, okay. So all of these shows that I sat through, you know, the Kyoto, the Kobe, the Hokkaido, all of these shows that I watched in 2021, and again, that was, you know, my unit masquerade. I thought they were just absolutely outstanding. It all pays off two years down the road when you least suspect it, where now Jason Lee has this incredible game plan uh, because he spent an entire year alongside Dragon Diop. Yeah, and it was something that you said, like every, like that's the shame about this match is that they had this perfect story. They went out, had it flawlessly, but just because of circumstances, like I just, I know that, that these two guys have a match of the year in them. It's very clear here, and I just want them to see the time to do that. And like, I'm almost frustrated because this is a four and a quarter star match for me, Kays, and it just was phenomenal. It just was like every bit of it was well thought out, built well, and the crowd was completely into both sides of this. This wasn't like everyone was cheering for Daya and forgetting about Jason. Everyone was into this. I was at four flat here, and it, it, it gets Jason's reign off on the right foot. You know, now you look to dragon kid you look to maybe genki horiguchi you look to i i would love it if they did jason versus doi whether or not that happens i don't know you obviously you have the potential for a kagatora match a nagano match a, a daiki yanaguchi match in a few months down the road i think you have to do jason versus jackie at some point it's just a matter of figuring out how to do it and then you've also got you know minorita and mochizuki jr there's a lot of potential here for jason lee to have a number of classic brave gate matches Give him time, give him focus. He will, he will pay that off for you. Yeah, and it's something that the Brave Gate's in good, solid hands for a while, and I think everyone is hoping for this to be the reign that we, uh, th- that would be up there with uh, Pack or Akira Tozawa, and it seems like we're getting that, and that's going to be really fun to live through. Completely agree. Can I ask you a, a question real quick? I, I want to backtrack to the Dreamgate scene, but you just you kind of laid something out there that I wanted to ask you. Okay, go right ahead. On a scale of one to ten, with ten obviously being the most effective, where do you rank this second run of of Skywalker? Probably seven. Seven. Yeah. I think I'm at an eight. You know, I, I think I think he got the belt off of Yoshioka at the right time. I think he elevated Strong Machine J. Do you think he elevated Strong Machine J? I guess we now have two months of of hindsight there. Do you think Jay's in a better spot after that Dreamgate match? Yes, but I don't think it was as high of an elevation as they were hoping for. I, I, when Strong Machine J was in the ring at the post-match with Kota Minora, Benkei, Shun Skywalker, Yuki Yoshioka, Madoka Kakuda, he felt like the odd one out interesting okay that's that's and, an interesting point point. And, and, and that's not a slight akira tozawa one that was all happened that was before that was when he was just like a twin gate champion yeah like like that the, that's normal for that but i i feel like that they were hoping it was going to be completely off the races he's in a he's in a better spot i feel like that's you, you can't debate that whatsoever but i don't know if necessarily the full elevation took I'm gonna I'm gonna sit around this weekend and really think about the best option 
for everybody in Natural Vibes if Natural Vibes disintegrated tomorrow. Because I, I think that unit is so effective and whether people like it or not is is so ingrained into this modern generation of Drangate in a positive way. But I think Casey would be better off if Vibes ended. I think Jason and Jackie would be better off if Vibes ended. I think Strong Machine J would be better off if Vibes ended. And I think UT and Shimizu are kind of Teflon. They can go anywhere and do anything. But this unit is so effective to a point that it might be halting guys' progress now. Yeah, it it, it is something that when when you like take stock of it, the like one way or another, Jackie and Jason need to move on. I feel like that's kind of patently obvious. I mean, they've did uh, Jason has coming up on a year. Jackie's coming up on a year and a half, and I think that for like the the goal of Natural Vibes and what it was trying to do, those two guys are ready to take that step. It's just that the the hard thing about breaking up Natural Vibes, you'd have to have at least one term because the natural inclination is either new unit or decourage, and not everyone can go straight into those kind of scenarios. And I wonder about that with Natural Vibes. I think that's fair. Match two from uh, Aichi was the eight-man tag that was uh, changed around after Mochizuki Jr.'s injury. Of course, Mochizuki Jr., as Case pointed out earlier, suffered an injury in Yokohama. Uh, It was the DDT. Seems like he's fine or is on the mend. He was replaced by Punch Tomonaga. So it was the original M2K, Masaki Mochizuki, Susumu Mochizuki, Azushi Kanda, and Punch Tomonaga versus Don Fuji, Takashi Yoshida, Problem Dragon, and Minorita. And it was the M2K combination, Kamikaze, Geku Gudo, elbow drop from Kanda onto Problem Dragon to win this match in 8 minutes and 26 seconds. This match happened. Got a lot of punch. Got a lot of punch. Match one was UT's return match in his hometown, UT and Jackie Funky Kame teaming up representing Natural Vice versus Kagator and Kaita Nagano, two picked opponents by UT. However, the ring rust was there and Kagatora got UT with the Guramakakari in just under 10 minutes. Before I talk about this match, the Jackie Funky Kame green pants. I thought we were done with them. I, I so hideous they're distracting. At least he's not wearing the the overall portion of it anymore. It's just bad green pants. I I will give you that, but I am still I am so thrown off whenever he wears them. the The white gear looks great. The black gear looks great. The green pants. It's just distracting. Yeah, green is kind of a tough color. You kind of got to. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't wear the natural vibes green. He wears this ugly lighter green shade that is not a part of anything. Yeah, it's a green shade that looks more like it would fit in with like the D color, the D courage color screen scheme. I yeah, I guess it's not. I, look, there's a reason that hasn't been a keynote color. Nobody wants to see that. Yeah, yeah. If Yoshino wasn't going to make a unit that color green, then no one should. As for the match, what do you think about UT's return? He looks solid. I mean, yeah, right. It, it, it's UT. He is someone that. He keeps on getting injured, and he looks exactly... Like, I'll say this, like, his bounce-back ability is tremendous, you know? I mean, given the, the his injury history and the starts and stops over the last five years, it's not like these injuries really seem to be, like, chipping away at his ring ability. No, it's it's weird. It's like his body has deteriorated to a default setting where... Right, yeah. No, totally. yeah no, no matter how much he gets hurt, he's still going to come back to this level, and that level is largely excellent. 
Right. And it was fun with him and JFK uh, Nagano doing the uh, Sukadora and nailing it for once. Nailed it. Nailed it. Maybe he has it down, finally. I Maybe. think so. I, uh, people in the Discord were commenting about that, and rightfully so. Where the last few times he's tried it, he's actually he's got it to work, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, but this was a lot of fun. This had a good closing stretch. Of course, being in Nagoya, the crowd was really up for UT. A lot of UT towels in the crowd. I was kind of expecting it's like this was like the add-on nice thing to do for his hometown fans. No, there were probably people that as soon as they heard that UT's return was was in his hometown, probably bought their ticket because of that. First time he's been in front of a cheering crowd since COVID started. Jay brought that up, and I, I hadn't thought about it like that, but he's right. UT got hurt in December. And a lot of the cheering crowds came back in February. Yeah, yep. And a lot of flowers this show, especially for UT. Did you see the out front of the Perfectorial Gymnasium, how many flowers were gifted to UT? I, I did not. Like, there was, like, full displays, full floral displays that were, like, sides of a building. You know, if AEW could get their house show business to be successful— that is the type of thing that I would I, I would really love to see them do like proper homecoming house shows because they obviously, for the most part, treat wrestlers very well in their hometown and they should. But that's the sort of thing of, you know, a, a Ricky Starks, New Orleans homecoming house show. That's the type of stuff that I would love to see that I think Tony Khan has the time and attention for. Uh, that would just be, be very interesting to watch. Yeah, and it, it's something that I think it's just such an easy thing to do. To build, a, it, it, it's like responsible. It's responsible of a promoter to like keep track of those sorts of things and build to those. Uh, Case, I did send you a link to UT's floral displays. Those are they beautiful. Are in, they are seriously like I'm right now looking at one case that has at least 18 identical bouquets. It's crazy. I'm. It's his 10th anniversary this year. Yep. And that's he's almost has like. Like Shimizu has been around 10 years and it feels like it and it makes sense. And I could I could write a story on Shimizu being around for 10 years and the impact he's had and, you know, the what could have been and, and what he did well and how I think he's underrated. UT's career, what a turbulent 10 years. What a bizarre just existence. Yeah, it it's something that like. You would write about his career, but you're really writing about the resilience of someone who wants to become a pro wrestler. Yeah, and the fact that was he was he supposed to debut at Dead or Alive 13 and then went to Mexico? It was it wasn't Dead or Alive, it was another show around Nagoya. Okay, yeah. So you know, they, they do the angle where he's supposed to debut and instead he gets with Tiok and Ata and they go to Mexico and they hang out there. Ata's forced to come home. <laughs> the millennials are formed. And, you know, in, in a way, the worst thing that happened to him is the existence of Flamita, because that unit was T-Hawk, Ata, and UT. And then Flamita comes in, and it very quickly becomes that T-Hawk, Ata, and Flamita. And, you know, he bounces around. And, I, I you know, I used to knock him. To me, he was a, a largely purposeless, meaning uh, meaningless wrestler up until that bizarre... Kagatora, Yosuke, Santa Maria, UT Trio, and Tribe Vanguard, they found their chemistry. And from there, ever since then, he's been one of my favorite wrestlers. He obviously has the Super Shisa match that you and I both love so much. He has the Susumu match. He has the SB Kento stuff from two years ago. He's turned in 
a really impactful last four or five years, but it just took so long to get there. And he found his lane. And I think like that is the big thing about him was that you, you brought up the Kakatori Yosuke San Maria Triangle Gate run, but that happened that coincided with him joining Tri Vanguard and him and Yamato, like the storyline for a while was why are you doing these this flying thing when that's not your wrestling passion? You love traditional lucha libre uh yave maestro work. Why don't you go you're great at this, why don't you do that? And then he's become ever since like that moment, I guess five years ago. He's one of my favorite wrestlers on the planet, like straight up. I think that for people who are interested in an adaptation of a style that is often maligned and misdone, I think UT is is as good a is a better representative of that style than Angelico. I was about to say, if if Angelico is not doing it for you, may I suggest watching UT do it right? Yeah, and it's something that it coincided with. In case I talk about this match all the time. Uh, champion gate 2020 it was uh him teaming with uh it was him teaming with kai and against uh biggie and it was just like one of those phenomenal like tag matches it was like right before the company shut down for covid and they were like doing crowd brawls and it was (laughs) and it was amazing It, it was one of my top 10 matches of that year it was tremendous and it's something that you it, again i come back to like when you write that thing when you write the 10 year anniversary ut what it is to be the passionate braveheart it is someone's willingness to endure and put up with their body attempting to fail them because they want to become a pro wrestler so bad completely i think that's that's very well pointed and now that he's back in the fold you hit it there it, kai and ut have arguably the best chemistry in the company, whether they're teaming or wrestling against one another. So let's cycle back, uh, cycle that back into the fold real quick, please. Kai and UT versus the Mochizukis after Ugh. a dangerous gate or Kai and UT versus Kondo and Kano. That's something I want to see. I want to see UT get in there with Kano, take it back to Lapis Hall rules. God, you know, UT would get hurt if he wrestled Kano and that's not a dig on Kano. That's just, he takes it. He takes a kick to the shoulder, and all of a sudden, you know, okay, his rotator cuff has disappeared. It's the the it bad more, look that UT would have. It, it would be more weird. It, it, yeah, it would be. Right. <laughs> it, it, it would be like he ate the PFS. Like he gets uh, duh, he gets top rope double foot stomped, and his pancreas starts rejecting his body. Yeah, it's like oh, UT almost died because he took a move. Like that's just the career that he's had. Yeah, yeah, and it's not like breaking. It's like no, his organ decided to turn against him. A heel turn organ. Yeah, heel turn Oregon. I I would still give it four and a half stars and talk about that match for five years. Of course, absolutely. So, but that was dead or alive. It was today, uh, May fifth, twenty twenty three, from Aichi Prefectorial Gym. I've been nailing my pronunciations and Prefectorial, which I've said probably a hundred times a year. Murdered it there. It's up on the network. It's I I don't think they have the uh, they have not chopped up the pre-show post-show thing so the file is like four and a half hours long the show is really about three hours and 15 minutes uh and uh we are now in the new new big six era case and the road to kobe world mike before we go go opener to main event read your star ratings again real quick and i'll do the same all right uh opener ut return three and a half stars uh eight man tag two and three quarters probably it was being a little generous with that one to be honest uh Bravegate, uh, four and a quarter. Ultimo and Diamante, gentlemen's three. Uh, Triangle Gate, flat four. 
Uh, special tag, uh, three and three quarters. I do not rate Sakura-Chikawa matches by rule. Uh, Twingate, uh, four and a quarter in the main event. The Dreamgate match, four and a half. And you were you were higher on just about everything than I was. I went three and a quarter on the opener, two and a quarter on the eight-man tag, four flat on the Brave Gate, two and a half on the Ultimo Diamante tag, three and three quarters on the Triangle Gate, three and one quarter on the Marifuji appearance, four flat on the Twin Gate, and four and three quarters on the Dream Gate. A very good show with a handful of great matches is the way that I would describe this. Yes, uh we all knew that this show would be that if the main event bombed, we could have had the best brave gate match. We could have had like a surprisingly excellent triangle gate match. Marifuji could have made it 2008, but we would remember the show because the two year story failed. But yes. now that match was so great. Succeed succeeded, exceeded expectations in some ways. And you had the rest of the card, at least for me, at least for me, and there were things that maybe I was in a good mood this morning about that Ultimo match, and that's why I got the Gentleman's Three. But I think that everything else over delivered. I I would I would say everything hit about the level that I was hoping it to a hit. I I would have liked the Bravegate match to to be a little bit better, but that's nothing they could do. That was just merely a a, a factor of how much time they were going to get. Everything else was kind of in line with what I was thinking it was going to be. Yep, nope, that's entirely fair. Uh, trying to pull up what their upcoming schedule is. I, I know that they have Cork in next Thursday, but they I, I think they're just on YouTube for the remainder of the weekend, if I'm right. Yeah, so it's going to be... They've got they've got a house show tomorrow and Sunday. I, I thought they would have until Cork and off, but they're actually going to have a stretch of five days of shows in a row. So they'll be in Aichi again tomorrow, uh, Saturday, so expect a YouTube upload there. And then and my which used to be the Shingo homecoming show, uh, no Don Fuji Don Fuji's homecoming show on Sunday, Corkin which will be on the network on Thursday the eleventh, and then uh, yeah Sambo Hall show on the fourteenth. Oh, that's and... the one that decourage. It that's decourage produce. Oh, okay, that be is good to know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because remember, like, they were all tweeting about that game, that iPhone game, that coincidentally, like, a year after, like, Stardom had to deal with them. Uh, The the winning unit got to produce the Kobe World Show, and it was Decourage. All right, so that'll be on the 14th. The weekend after that is the Hokkaido Triple Shot, and then the weekend after that is Osaka number two. So a a loaded rest of May. So if for some reason you're not subscribed to the Dragon Gate Network and this sounds interesting to you, Subscribe, watch that or live, and you'll have plenty more shows to watch for the rest of the month. And you'll have plenty of Open the Voice Gate to listen to as well. But KSI, I think that's going to do it for us today on the same day audio of Dead or Alive 2023. Do you have anything else you want to touch on before we got out of here? That's all I got. Fair enough. And thanks for everyone for joining us on this same day audio for dead or alive uh if you want to give us feedback please do so you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate or you could find us in the voices of wrestling discord either in the open voice gate channel or also in the dragon gate channel as well but that's going to do us for this time on open the voice gate again you could follow us on twitter at open voice gate you could rate and review us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify it's the best way for more people to discover open the voice gate and cases that underscore in your case on Twitter, and I am at Fuji Heya. 
Thanks for listening to Open Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next time. Take care. Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host for You've Got to Be Kidding Me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you, you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network and Liam will do bits and whatnot.